Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Here are your hosts, Tristan Cockroft and Eric Carabell. Hi there. Welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It is indeed a beautiful Thursday morning, April 11th, 2019. Please get your taxes in. I am Eric. He is Tristan, an underrated but hopefully appreciated Kyle Soppy handles, well, everything else, including producing. On today's show, the big weekend preview, plus more injuries, hot cold starts to discuss. Plus, we have a special guest later on. You all love her. And later, the myriad hash browns as well. All right, Tristan. Um, what do you want to talk about today? You know, I'm, I'm pretty much up for anything. Positivity, positivity. Let's start with the positives and avoid the negatives. Okay, let's do that. Let's talk about a rookie who's off to a great start. That in the buzz. All right, Pete Alonzo. Give me his final numbers. I, I mean, I mean, like he's off to a great start. And I wrote a blog the other day, which I'm sure so many people read, um, saying that people are dropping Jesus Aguilar and other first basemen of note, for that matter, to pick up Pete Alonso and Daniel Vogelbach. Guys are off to good starts. Christian Walker. It's just I, I look at the drop list and I'm like, you know, I don't want you to drop Miguel Cabrera yet. And why are you dropping Luke Voigt? And don't drop Matt Olson. He's coming back in a week or two. Anyway, Pete Alonso, final numbers. <sighs> All right. I think Alonso will finish with, uh, I'm going to say 29 home runs, a 255 average, and let's give him like 78, 79 RBI. So he's Jose Abreu without 30 or 40 batting average points. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Fair comp. Just like we always used to say, Adalberto Montesi, Trey Turner with, with 50 batting average points cut off. It's kind of the same with that. Well, did you see the Royals yesterday? Yeah. Stealing all these bases? Yep. And Hamilton had none. Terrence Gore, they can't play him every day. But he stole two bases. Anyway, yeah. Peter Alonso's good. I, I would try to add Alonso. He's batting like anybody batting second, a power guy who a manager looks at as like this is my best hitter, and that's basically what the Mets are doing here. It's like Goldschmidt batting second. That's why the Mets are batting Peter Alonso second. Um yeah. Try to add them, but just be careful who you're dropping. I'm lo- I'm looking at the most drop list for batters. Okay, maybe that's you know obviously it's not a positive, but we're I want to look at like why people are dropping Jesse Winker, Justin Smoke, uh, Brandon Strikeout, Nimmo. Why? Why can't Marlon Gonzalez? Let's talk philosophy. On let's this. do that. Yes, because first of all, it's the ten team shallow mixed. If you are chasing current stats, that is the one league in which it's defensible to make those decisions. Now, what I don't find defensible is that people were adding. Uh, <laughs> I tweeted the other day this thing about how uh, five of the top twenty two most added players on one one day earlier this week were uh, players who were top hundred effective players on the twenty twelve player radar. <laughs> They're all deep in their careers, guys like Jay Bruce and Jordan Zimmerman and Alex Gordon. Uh, that's being a little bit too reactionary. But especially for young players, you and I have talked about many of them. Yohan Mankata was one we talked about on a previous show. If you're going to react to a small sample in the shallow mixed, I think it is defensible because you're going to churn in a lot of players like this. And Alonso kind of falls into that. That's why I'm glad you brought up Alonso first, because my fear is that he's going to be great, classic, elite juice the orange guy. Like, that's going to be one big glass of orange juice with all the pulp in it. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be like a, one of those big gulp gallons. And then I fear that pitchers are going to adapt to him. The one thing in his defense I'll say is that he is ranking about somewhere in, in the 65th percentile or so in terms of the chase rate swings at non-strikes. Uh, I, I do hope he stays in that range, but he does whiff a lot, and I think there's going to be a slump coming. Would you add Alonzo and cut Eloy Jimenez? Yes, I would, because that's oh. in our well, that's the, well, they're both very good young prospects, and in our game where where it's ten teams and you're churning players, I, I do think there's something to be said for getting the stats today. And Alonzo is considerably better in the short term than Eloy Jimenez is. Long term, like Eloy better. Keeper so leagues, I- no question. I wrote a blog on Wednesday, which I'm sure you read, about all the players with at least, I don't know, 40 PAs, 35 PAs that don't have extra base hits. And Aces Aguilar was on the list. Tommy Pham was on the list. And an hour later, he hit two home runs. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that, by the way. I appreciate it. Whatever I can do to help. (laughs) Cervelli was on the list. He homered as well. Eloy is on that list. 
I'm surprised. I man, I guess Alonzo over Eloy because the power is more guaranteed. But Eloy's going to be fine. Everybody's worried about him. I don't have any concerns about Eloy Jimenez. And and by before we get too late, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is now in AAA Buffalo, playing for the Blue Jays AAA team, which means he's healthy enough to play. He can be called up any day now. Yeah. If he's available in your league, obviously I know you would drop Eloy to get Vlad. Yeah, but. Say Pete Alonso is your last guy. You're not dropping Alonso for Vlad, are you? I, yes. Shouldn't you? Absolutely. Uh, now, now I would try to find another way in which to keep Alonso on my roster and reap the benefits of these great stats. But for the long haul, and this is the thing, it's all about context. It's what exactly do you need? Are you talking about the guy you're locking in for five months and two weeks? Or are you talking about I'm okay with playing over the next month? If I'm playing over the next month, it's probably Alonzo, but I think Guerrero is the case in, in every other instance. You mentioned Jay Bruce. He has an Achilles, in, minor Achilles injury, although he could end up on the injury list for all we know. He's sitting out Thursday's game. Your thoughts on Seattle's offense? They weren't supposed to do this, but we didn't expect Jay Bruce to be tied for the major league lead in home runs. We didn't think Daniel Vogelbach with his 2,000 OPS would be doing this. Uh, Domingo Santana, I thought, would be doing this, but nobody else did. Um, your thoughts on Seattle here? I mean, Jay Bruce could end up with 35 home runs, but bat like his weight. That, that could happen. <laughs> it could happen. I don't know that it will in that park, but I, I like where you're going on the power upside. I, th- I think Bruce was one of the more underrated mid-level power options there. Nobody was investing anything in him, especially in mixed leagues coming into the season. So nice rebirth for him so far. I don't really believe in the Mariners' offense from the long haul as being one of the best in the game. I mean, they're number one in runs per game at 7.9 right now. That's not going to keep up. But I'll reiterate what I said the other day, and that is that I think that this offense is does not deserve to be called one of the five worst in baseball. One thing they did not do when they were rebuilding during the offseason was tear down the offense. They didn't trade Edwin Encarnacion. They have a couple of good speedsters in there. They have some good young hitters. Mitch Hanniger we talk about a lot. I think there are pieces here that are worthwhile for fantasy. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It is hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And best of all, listeners to this fine show get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code FFB today. That's promo code FFB for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. All right, time to talk closers. The The Closer closer carousel. Carousel. All right, uh, Jose LeClerc, I ranked him as a top 10 closer before the season. I love the strikeout potential, and now he has struggled on consecutive days. And that's really all it takes to worry people in fantasy baseball, right? LeClerc has two games that he can't close out effectively, and now he's a concern. I would assume Sean Kelly's next in line if LeClerc is hurt. I can't believe he would lose a job this quickly, but do you have concerns, or is this just a two-day blip? Uh, I have concerns in that he's not missing bats. Uh, that is the, the, the negative takeaway from these past couple of games. I throw, I'm willing to throw out all the rest of it, but it could just be a short-term blip, and there is not really a lot of elite competition there. I mean, you did mention Kelly. The other was they were using Chris Martin as a setup man coming into the season, so I don't even know that it's so assured who the next in line would be that I think LeClerc is going to get at least one, two more chances. I continue to be angry that Shane Green <laughs> piles on a save every day. And I got beat out for him in our office league, in which I think I'm in last place. Just everybody's bad. Um, but, you know, it's Shane Green, early. It is, but those are like eight saves in the bank. You know, <laughs> know like that's know. in the bank. Now you're and making my Alonzo point. I know. I know. The difference here is like Green has more saves than strikeouts. Now that's happened before. Jim Johnson, I think, did it. You know, more saves than strikeouts. It's rare. I. Nobody's, nobody's taking Shane Green in a trade from you. That's the thing, like, where he's yeah. like the highlight guy in the trade. So, hey, good for him. Swarzak got another save the other day, and then he got the win yesterday. Um, AJ Minter got a save after our last show at Coors Field. Um, uh, Minter versus Vizcaino in Atlanta. I think you'd have to say Vizcaino gets more saves because he's right-handed. Um, is I'm Kirby- I'm not so sure about that. 
Okay. I, I'm a I, very big mentor guy, though. Remember, keep that in mind. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. I I I like him too, and I I think Viscaino is always an injury risk. That's the issue with him. If I said to you that Kirby Yates is this year's Edwin Diaz for total saves and value, I guess to some degree, that's not laughable, is it? Because every year it seems like there's one guy who, for some reason, just gets so many more saves than everybody else. Their team wins a lot of close games, maybe surprisingly so. Seattle wasn't supposed to win half their games last year. That's how Edwin got, like, 57 saves. Nobody else had, like, more than 42 or something. What if Yates is that guy? Or I guess Shane Green, but I don't think so. I think it's Yates. So I'll say your intent is reasonable. I'd say your the literal definition of what you said is laughable because you just you can't project historic all-time seasons. I mean, I like where you're going with setting the bar up there. Maybe he could do it, but the the odds of that happening for anybody, even the most talented in all of baseball, is very, very slim. Now, could he be the number one closer out there? Sure, he could be. He has that kind of talent, and I do think, as expected, the Padres are a little bit more competitive team than I thought. By the way, to your answer on your question, Jim Johnson, indeed the greatest number of saves in a more saves than K season, 2012. <laughs> I don't know why I remembered that one. Um, a lot of people did it, actually. In fact, uh, the guy who has one of the drops named after him uh, is second on the list. One of the drops named after him? Yep. Who's that? Brian Fuentes. Uh, it's another I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> Ole! Love it. How many of those have we had recently? I guess um, yeah. a closer coming in with a four-run lead and getting lit up. I haven't seen one recently. Oh, uh, somebody gave up a run yesterday who was a, uh, actually Edwin Diaz himself, I believe was one. Yeah, but that wasn't a pounding. I mean, that uh, one run is no big deal. But I mean, it was yeah. a Dante Fuentes. It was technically a Dante Fuentes. Yes, it was. It was literally um, a Dante Fuentes. It was literally. Any other, uh, Iglesias gets his first save for Cincinnati, not the shortstop, the closer. He's probably the closer, although he's not going to get a ton of saves, I don't think. We have no clarity on Boston still, no clarity on Baltimore, really, as if it matters. <laughs> Can't, when's the last time Kansas City had a save chance? At least a week. They you did know, I, use Ian Kennedy in the seventh, I believe it was the sixth and seventh or the seventh and eighth yesterday. Yeah, I, I've seen a couple of these. Same with Blake Parker, the Twins. He came in in the seventh inning of that game against the Mets the other day. I'm like, uh, you're supposed to be the closer, and they're winning. What's going on? The closers are doing all creativity. kinds of stuff. I admire the managerial creativity. Sure. And one thing I'll say is we, I, I, I got fooled by the blip late during spring training. Got to go back to your preseason sleeper gem, Diego Castillo. I think he's one who's looking a lot better than I was expecting he would. Because Tampa Bay's good. And Alvarado, 35 saves, Castillo 12. I could see that. Maybe a few less for Alvarado. Um, I think we have clarity with the Cardinals. Jordan Hicks is clearly their guy. Swarzak is in Seattle. Sean Doolittle has... Mm, are you no? sure about Swarzak? All right. Well, he Rowan came into a tie game yesterday. yesterday. A, yeah, but that's because it was a tie game when Swarzak came in and they got a run on the top of the ninth. Wouldn't okay, yeah. And if a manager is going with the old school usage right. of closers, that wouldn't be normal closer usage, right? That's what I'm wondering there. I, I, and I do think Elias's stuff has been very good this year. That maybe he does sneak in some of those lefty saves, the the Taylor Rogers types. Uh, Doolittle has three wins and nary a save. Not to concern anybody with that, but okay. like last year, like the Reds had only three saves as a team in April, and Iglesias still ended up with thirty. So, so don't like cut your closers just because they're not getting save chances. Like they're going to get save chances. I, who's a closer that's owned? Wade Davis has no saves. Nary a save. Doolittle has nary. Don't cut these guys. I know it's it's only two weeks. It's it's just crazy to cut these guys because they don't have any saves. It's not their fault. They haven't blown any saves. Anyway, if on. you need saves, I get cutting a David Robertson who is I yes. think out of the role. But unless there is some sort of clear distinct change. Well, who's in the role? I don't, I don't know who Philly's closer is, and I watch every game. Now, you don't need a closer when you're losing 15 nothing. Aaron Altair is the new Philly's closer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that was fun. I, I did. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and for everybody who points at run differential to, to, to look at a team, stop doing that. The Phillies lost 15 to nothing, and they threw an outfielder in the ninth inning who could have given up 10 more runs. If you look at run differential only, it doesn't tell a story. It just doesn't. I know uh, people that... People that are really smart are listening to that saying, you're just dumb. But that's exactly why run differential – anyway. It does. But on the rare occasion, there's been a closer who adhered to the run differential formula and got a lot of saves. But you can't use – you can't just cherry pick the examples to support a claim. That is what you were doing. It's like the contract year thing. All right. Um, homers and steals. Let's get to the combo meals. Hey, it's a combo meal. 
I think I should rhyme before every drop now. I'm going to try to do that. I like it. If, like, saves. Like, what rhymes with saves? Faves? Faves. Here are my faves about the saves. I like it. <laughs> you know a drop's going to come if you the keep rhyming. Somebody's going to stitch it all together. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> how many combos? save me. What is that? Is that a song? Yeah, it what is. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, Monday, my new favorite NL only uh, pickup, Kevin Pillar, homered and stole a base. He only gets one hit a game, but it's like three or four RBI. Um, Tuesday, you look Brad, like a genius with that too. That's <laughs> I am enjoying. I it. overspent. I overspent for him. It's an NL only with a hundred dollar fab budget, but I, and I spent forty three of it. But I, I thought six months of a guy or two months when I, if I wait till July thirty first, like I do that every year in that league and I never win. Yeah. New, you know, time for Pol- new tactics. Pilar is a very predictable, what, 260, 15, 15, and yeah. he's going to be in the lineup because of the glove. Uh, you know, he, he's like safe Kevin Kiermeyer. I thought, you know, let's, let's use the money now. Every year, I, I never use that money or I get outbid because somebody had more than $100, which should never happen, but it does. Go walk your dog, Steve. Tuesday, Brad Miller and Austin Meadows. <laughs> Meadows had a, Meadows and Tyler Glass now in the Chris Archer trade. Doesn't look so good for Pittsburgh right now. Ooh. Um, Archer's throwing at people. Meadows. What, what is Meadows? Like, give me his homers and steals and batting average. What is he? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one because it could go in either direction in both categories. I'm going to throw 20 homers at him. I'm going to throw 15 steals. And I, I don't feel as good about the steals as I do the homers. And on Wednesday, uh, future gold glover Marcelo Zuna had – did you see the play where he tried the to worst. <laughs> jump over the oh fence? Oh, my God. And the ball, like, didn't even hit the fence. He's got to get his <laughs> eyes checked. Like, you need some goggles or something. That was crazy. Not the oh. first time he's done that either. Like, basically, he tried to jump at the fence over it, and the ball hit – on not even on the warning track, right? It hit on the grass. Yeah. Like and then bounced over for a double. ground rule double, yeah. 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 Um, Zuna, anyway, is running wild this season with two. And Starling Marte, who we expect to have, like, 15 homers and 40 steals, hopefully. He had a combo meal as well. Any thoughts on these guys? They're rostered in every league. If you so. want to if you want to spin one of these combo meals, let's take the Brad Miller one and point out that that came against Mr. Jo- Jordan Zimmerman. <laughs> Ooh, he regressed hard in that game. Yeah, you know, we shouldn't get any credit for this. I mean, it was obvious what was going to happen. But some of these guys are not yeah. going to regress. Like, Matt Shoemaker is leading the player raider right now because he's 3-0. and And he's not giving up runs. But that, that there's no way that continues. I mean, Matt, first of all, if I gave you the over-under on 15 starts, you'd have to think about it. Yeah, how can he stay healthy? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, starts. I, and I And right now, I feel like my instinct says over. But, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I say sell high. Nobody's trading for Matt Shoemaker right now. He's a part of a deal like Shane Green is. But, you know, (laughs) what are you doing there? Um, And and I said don't use Shoemaker at Fenway. It wasn't a great line. It was an okay line. He gave up three runs and didn't finish six innings. My vampire team says thank you. I don't think I picked him up on the. I'm getting destroyed this week. I told you, I I did, and I I realized immediately it was a foolish move. (laughs) I threw myself under the bus on Monday's show. (laughs) I'm not going to win this week. Um, we entered Thursday. I've only had one pitching start, and it was Matthew Boyd. So oh boy. I'm losing a lot. <laughs> Boyd, but, actually, Boyd's come in kind of decent so far. What do you think of uh, of his returns? I, I, I actually watched I, part of both his games. Yeah, I saw yesterday. He he looks okay, but okay is not going to be good enough. Like he's not a 200 strikeout guy. He's not a strikeout more than an inning guy, is he? I don't think so. I think he could be. I think because there was some underlying positivity in the uh, swinging strike rate that didn't show up in the K rate itself. But I watched the Yankee game, and you remember that one. That's the one where the Yankees K'd 18 times as a team, and I believe it was he had 13 of them. He did have good stuff. It showed itself that day. Uh, congrats. You just got Caleb Smith in our uh, loon, in our auction league. On Yay! I, don't know. I know oh, you're I very excited. I didn't pay too much. No, actually, uh, I like Caleb Smith. No, I do too. I like all the Marlins. I just kept in a, in our keeper sim league. I just kept Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara basically on a whim. Like I yeah. didn't have anyone else, but like I think I can get twenty to twenty five starts out of each with an ERA on the good side of four. Some oh, strikeouts. Oh man, I was the second in line for Colton Wong. That's a bummer. Lost the Colton Wong bid. Uh, let's take a look at the schedule. The schedule for the weekend. Schedule. Oh, that's right. Game of Thrones is back on Sunday night. Now neither of you are going to watch. I'm something with schedule. Yeah, you're I, don't know, you. I don't know where Dop is, but I'll, I'll I will be watching. You know what? Do I DVR it? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to definitely watch. Maybe I'll watch it before Monday's show. <laughs> it's a fantastic show. Day? Not that many uh, this to watch this season. But um, Thursday's schedule. Um, you're probably already missing this, but on ESPN Plus, Shane Bieber, who was my 
sleeper pitcher to watch. Against Spencer Turbo, who looks pretty good so far. I have him in a league or two. I don't know how many leagues. You know, a guy gets hurt, and I'm like, do I ha- where I have him somewhere? Yeah. I don't know where. That's been happening too much. I think I'm getting old. Um, but since that game already started, we don't need to. I mean, you know, Turnbull, Bieber, you like, you don't like. What have you seen so love, far? Love Bieber, yeah. And, I mean, most of that comes down to the scouting from the preseason. But I, I still very much like and I'm invested in the Indian starters. Turnbull's an interesting case, though. Um because there, there's a little differential between how he's using his fastball, if it's sinkers, two-seamers, or four-seamers. So I'm not quite decided how I feel about him. I have noticed how he's done the first two starts, though. Last game of the day, Jon Snow uh, at San Francisco go. against Jeff Samarja, who doesn't like the way baseball is being played with the starters. Stop whining. <laughs> anyway, it's John Gray at San Francisco, and normally you would say, oh, of course I'm using him. The Giants don't hit. This is a road game. But John Gray's better at home than he is on the road, Tristan. Like, when are you going to stop – like talking about John Gray, I want to know. <laughs> I'm going to be using him for this start, and I expect of course this you is the are. one that he breaks through. He, the Miami game was great. He threw six. Get lit. He didn't Tell get Pilar's lit. Pilar's homering today. I'm just telling you, John Gray, okay. he's going to break your heart forever, just like Nick Pavetta. You know, who I would as, drop. This is as good a matchup as the Miami one, and that was a quality start with 10 Ks. It was an excellent game. You had enough of uh, Phillies Pavetta. That I, I can't. I can't take it anymore. I can't. Is is Eflin going to outperform Pavetta? Is Zach Eflin going to be higher on the player rate than Nick Pavetta at year's end? If Nick Pavetta keeps doing this, yes. Oh, well, yeah, then it'll be easy. But I was I I yes. asked myself that question in the preseason and well, Eflin Eflin's was already in the rotation. Yeah, right now I'd say Eflin. The point of Pavetta is that everybody keeps recommending him as a sleeper based on peripheral numbers, not like what he's doing. And they look at his ERA and say, "Oh, he was unlucky." Mm-hmm. Was he unlucky? He wasn't unlucky in that first inning yesterday. He's putting his fastballs right over the middle of the plate, and everybody's clubbing him, especially the left-handers. Okay, luck takes you only so far. I, I just, if you told me right now, Pavetta's ERA ends up at 450, I'd say, yeah. Now maybe that's enough for the Phillies to still make the playoffs, but mm-hmm. and he'll get his strikeouts after the first inning. He looked fine, and then in the fifth, he got lit again. I, I or the fourth inning, anyway. I, yeah, I, I know that if you drop Pavetta, he'll have some good lines later in the season. Right. And he might end up at 450, which would be a, a huge improvement. But, yeah, I've had enough. The injuries to pitchers lately, losing some key guys, though, I think has a bearing on Pavetta's value. I think it requires a little more patience. As I was doing the rankings, I found it difficult to find even 40, 45 guys that I truly trusted and mixed. Uh, Friday, apparently not everybody's playing. I don't know why. Ryan Stanek is the opener for Tampa Bay at Toronto against Trent Thornton. I don't think you need to roster these guys in ESPN leagues. There is a day game on Friday. Tyler Skaggs and Cole Hamels at Wrigley. Cubs are a mess. We yep. worry about Cubs closers. They're not even getting to their closers. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Um, they'll be fine. They'll win their 90. It may not be enough. Um, Will they? They may not. You know, when I saw the BP projection, I think it was them. Yep. And they had him in last place. I thought, all right, everybody's going to whine and complain, just like they did with the Royals a couple years ago. And then the Royals actually did finish last. And then nobody remembered that that happened. Cubs are not a lock to make the playoffs by any means. Yep. NL has like six or seven teams that could all win 90 and make the playoffs. Four of them in the National League East. I legitimately believe that four National League East teams could all win 90 games. The um, Central is too competitive in order to just play yeah. flat baseball. Reds and Pirates are not that bad. I, I just... Anyway, Hamels Reds have looked fine. bad so far, but you know the fact that they've pitched as well as they have to this point. If the hitting comes around, there could be a very big win streak for the Reds. So every one of those teams is dangerous. Can't say I'm excited about Miami starting pitchers this weekend because they're facing Philadelphia, and Phillies will hit. Uh, At hit least yesterday. it's the right park. Right, but Alcantara. Uh, I know. agree with you. In our game, I think you got to scratch these guys from your list, but. If you're going to choose one of the two of these, I'm not so scared in the NL only is the very deep mix because it's that extreme pitcher's heaven. Uh, Michael Pineda at home on Friday night against Detroit. Not exactly the whopping offensive squad. You like Pineda, but it's I, I don't think he's going deep enough into games to help you enough. Yeah, it was 40 and then 80 for the pitch count there. I, I think he could dial it up to 90 in this game, but I think they're still taking a conservative approach. I like him, but the volume is a question. Chris Paddock on the mound at Arizona. You want Paddock. Keep him rostered. Um, Where do maybe- you have him now? What do you mean? Where like, would you classify him now in terms of a fantasy starter? In the 40s still. I'm not, okay. not giving up. Yeah. I still think there's too much upside there. So I view Paddock the way I do Elo Jimenez. He's the, he's the pitching version. You're nuts if you give up on him this, this quickly. Mm-hmm. It's going to turn around soon. That's, I, I, view the, I view them the same way. And he hasn't been anywhere near as poor if you watch his outings no. than Eloy has. So. Uh, no, not at all. I, I'd, I'd call it a, you know, it's decent so far. 
Saturday on ESPN Plus, the day game, Ivan Nova at the stadium against the Yankees. CeCe Sabathia is off the deal. Yep. How about that? Uh, no interest in that adding to me. Um, Eloy Holmes it's a watch. Up. Yeah. CeCe's ceiling just isn't high. What else is happening that day? Kyle Freeland, who has not been very good. People are dropping him at Madison Bumgarner. You have to use Freeland here. You have to. And you don't drop him yet. You know he's good. You've got to pick one between Freeland and Gray, who has the higher well, Freeland. Say higher game score there. Freeland. Gray. I know you're gonna you're gonna be an apologist for this guy when he's out of the league. I just I love that matchup. You can't love Freeland's matchup. Oh, no, I love them. Not love Gray's. I love them both matchups. They face the same team. The point is, you said Freeland or John Gray. So you'd start both. You prefer to have Freeland. Yes. Okay. I got you on board with Gray. Thanks. Awesome. Well, I would start him. Of well course, done, that's... Tristan. That was well done. <laughs> that's not what I meant. You're twisting my words. That was beautiful. Yeah! I don't like All you. Right. All Sunday right. night baseball yeah. on ESPN. It's actually a double header on ESPN Sunday. Night. How about that? Mm-hmm. As you all prepare your taxes, uh, the first doubleheader game are Miles My- Michaelis, who has not pitched very well, and people are cutting him too. Yep. Uh, against uh, Anthony DiSclefani at uh, Cincinnati. Um, you're not cutting Michaelis, are you? That's nope. crazy. Can't. Why are people doing this? There was too much analysis done during the offseason to support Miles Michaelis, and I've pointed out about the low K rate. That is a problem. It's always been a problem. You can't let him go if you were this invested. Why are all these signings in our Ottenly coming at the same? Max Fry just went for two dollars. They were all posted at the same time. Scheduled to pitch Friday, uh, Sunday night against Jacob Degrom. So I yeah, ask, tentative. he may not start. Yeah. Right. There, Might well, be the Bra- well, the Braves rotation was not announced beyond just Kevin Gosman today after the rainout, so they're very up in the air. But Mike Fultonavich is on schedule for Sunday if they choose to activate him. Fried's pitch well. Freed, Fried, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Um, I believe it's Fried. So, but I will look it up and make sure. Do you have to add him? Uh, I, I've caught, you know, uh, my, he's caught my eye as to what he's doing. Uh, there might be something there, but I, I don't know that the role is locked in. And they could go with with a six-man rotation, which is going to create a volume problem. It is freed. It's freed. Of course Max it is. freed. Um, and I think, you know, I think this is worth asking. I don't – I think I know what your answer is going to be. But quite a few top ten starting pitchers have either had a bad outing or two or just not been good. The last outing for Jacob deGrom, that was bad. I don't have any concerns about deGrom. But we didn't talk about Chris Sale yet. Scherzer has an ankle injury, could miss his Sunday outing. Um, Aaron Nola has not been good so far at yep. all. Yep. Trevor Bauer's last outing, awful. Walker Bueller, people are dropping him so fast. Bueller. Had, had him ranked as a top 10 starter, a lot of people did. I did not, but uh, close. Clevenger's out for months. Like, yeah. a lot of top-end starting pitching here that is not pitching well. But briefly, DeGrom, yeah. you're, you're not concerned. Nope. Sale, Sale, I am a little bit concerned. Uh, the velocity question is valid at this stage. Uh, we were looking at, at least from the fan graph numbers, 94.7 down to 91.3. He's got to pick that up soon. Noah? Not really concerned yet. The one game I saw where he was awful was the, the Washington game, and I think that that offense is pretty tricky at times. Bueller, I guess, is at home this weekend against Milwaukee. I don't know which day. I'm I haven't s- seen it. Bye, bye, bye on, on – yeah. and I'm not singing that song <laughs> on Walker Bueller. <laughs> All right. On, They're bringing on, those bands back, which I find so puzzling. But hey, what are you going to do? On that note, let's get to some real music. All right, let's get to some questions, Kyle. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, starting pitcher questions in, in the bank because people <laughs> just don't know what to do. With start, some starting, some we talked about earlier. Some guys have been really bad. Not dropping a lot of them, but some good starting pitching performances so far and people don't know if they should add them. Yeah, I find it interesting that you were so out on Pavetta already. I mean, it's... What? You know what? I've seen... It's, this is not because he's a Philly, okay? This is because the total justification for people naming him a sleeper is his K-rate and his FIP. And that's it. He has never had the ERA and whip to support being even rosterable in a 10-team standard league, Tristan. Yep. And yet he's it's all based... He, well, with more strikeouts. Nalaska, I saw that comp on on Twitter. He's not Nalasco. He's a strikeout guy, and he's not Dave Bush either. He's a you major. Forgotten Nalasco, then. You know what? He's like a pre-Robbie Ray before Robbie Ray got good. Nah, he's never gonna have that K rate. I mean, me a right-handed Robbie pitcher. Ray is twelve-five. I mean, I me don't a, think. No, you're right. Give me a right-handed pitcher who figured it out. He was a strikeout guy, but just gave up a whole lot of stuff. 
and then just automatically figured it out. I'm struggling to find one. Let me go to the one that did pitches. that and then figured it out. Yeah, I'd have to scan the brain for a few minutes. I mean, it wasn't Clevenger the, was fine right away. This Tyone. is the Nolasco thing. Nine five K per nine in that '09 season where he was called horribly unlucky. He he had the K rate. Some guys do this and then they don't do anything, and that's why I find that an interesting comp. Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Tr- okay. no, yeah. Well, Morton, not really. Morton actually, uh, actually might be a decent one. Wheeler actually goes into a good question here with Brandon wanting to know, of the slow starting starters, who are you most likely to buy the rest of the season with Wheeler, Hap, or Pavetta on that list for him? I still like Wheeler. I don't think Hap has any upside, but I think he can do what he did last season. In fact, I think he's the most consistent of those three. And when I say drop Pavetta, it depends on what type of league you're in. You're not dropping an NL only. You're hoping for 175 strikeouts, which he can still deliver. But the Phillies are a lot under a lot of pressure here to win now. And I think Pavetta and Velasquez, I you know, I don't think Eflin's pitching great, but between Pavetta and Velasquez, like they're out of the rotation this month if they don't turn things around. There's six pitchers at in AAA Lehigh Valley that, and all of them starting pitchers can be promoted right away. So they're not going to wait all that long. I just don't think. And they could use one of those guys in relief. Pavetta would probably be a really good closer. So is Velasquez. They throw so hard. They're like two pitch pitchers. I'm not saying they're going to get saves this season, but the Phillies ain't signing Kimbrell. And and stop with this stuff. I see it on TV. These announcers are just not making any sense. Craig Kimbrell is, would be a decent closer, okay? He was a decent closer last year, but with flaws. He doesn't fix a bullpen, people. He's not going to make Sir Anthony Domingos better. He's not going to make Trevor Rosenthal throw strikes. Enough with this. And he ain't, and he's not pitching this month. I would drop him in a ten-team standard. You can't, you can't roster Kirk Kimball. Anyway, that wasn't the answer. But Zach Wheeler is going to be fine. He's first for me. Half a second for Vettel. I would go in the same order because that's the rankings. However, and this is my issue with—I've said this before about ranks—is that you're locking in a guy and you're showing no width of his range of outcomes. Now, Pavetta's expands wider than Haps, and therefore the ceiling gets higher than him. And from that aspect, I might be apt to keep him over Hap just because the upside's greater. Pavetta, by the way, is the second widest DRA FIP differential. Now, granted, it's a 505 FIP, so I'm not excited, and it's a tiny sample. But I think there's something there. You want to talk three guys who have been underperforming, who I think may have major rebounds coming? And again, small sample, Brandon Woodruff, Joey Lucchese, Jacob Junis. Agree on all three. I don't think Junis has the upside of the other two, but yes, I agree on all three. And they are all there. Each of them are being cut in myriad leagues. It's a mistake. It's people overreacting. And you can make the case, Tristan, like, well, how long do you wait for a starting pitcher if there's a good one available? I'm not dropping any of those. I'm not dropping Jake Junis from Matt Shoemaker. Now, I could be proven wrong, but I'm just not doing it. We've seen enough of Matt Shoemaker and Jordan Zimmerman over the years to know what they are, haven't we? I mean... It's the hardest thing to do in the 10-team mix format, and even the 12-team. You've got to just turn pitchers in and out, and it's tough to be patient through these guys. But frankly, I cannot see these numbers stabilizing in fewer than a dozen starts, and even that, to me, is a small sample. If you want some surprises on the player rater for starting pitchers that I buy and don't buy, mm -hmm. Shoemaker, no. Marco Gonzalez, yeah. Yeah, I I could see him being like John Lester, like 15 wins. Off to a good start there. Definite reverse. He was awful during the spring, and the first outing was bad, but he has done a very quick turnaround. Uh, You're you're right on that, and I shouldn't have been so pessimistic. Uh, Zach Eflin buying. Fred Anderson not buying. Um, Tyler Glass now love. (laughs) I I, I made that clear a while ago. Yep, yep. Nobody likes Yoli's Chassin except me. It's durable. It's enough strikeouts. It's a decent enough ERA. It's a better whip than you think. I've been buying on Chassin. He's where for you. In the 40s, which is wow. high. Wow, okay. It's high, but no, he was good I, enough I, last I like year. That. I like that because I don't think that you're – we're not far off there. I actually found that when I was doing the ranks again that he belonged higher than I expected. Carlos Rodon, number 21 starting pitcher so far. Are you buying? Yes and no. Don't like the velocity drop. Do like the slider usage. That is the the, the home run pitch. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to hear that for a pitcher. That's the that's the swing and miss pitch, and he's using it a lot. Trevor Cahill, yeah, kind of buying a little. Mm. Um, Joe Musgrove, yes, oh yes, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. And you know what? Again, here here's the left handed version of Julius Chassin that nobody wants to love. Derek Holland. Derek Holland is fine. He was yeah. fine last year. He's really? fine again. Why do people like Derek Holland so much this year? 
I'm not saying I like him so much, Tristan. I'm just saying, why do you hate him so much? He did what he did last year, and he's going to do the exact same thing again. It's not a ton of strikeouts. He's not going to win a ton of games on that terrible team. But Derek Holland is fine. He had 169 strikeouts in 171 innings with a 357 and a 1.29 whip. He only won seven games out of 30 starts because they're terrible. And yeah. that may happen again. It's a problem. Okay, but a problem. he could also win 12 games. If he wins 12 games with a 357, a decent whip, and a strikeout per inning, he's underrated. Derek Holland was a top 40 starting pitcher on our radar last year. He he was. He might well win another, you know, five to seven games this year with that offense behind him. That is a possibility. I I don't, I, I don't, I don't, like don't dislike that. the guy. He is your classic streaming pitcher, the one that's considered safe, and there's a good volume of them in that ballpark, granted, but... There's no way I'm ever using him in the tough ballparks, cores he's got in his division. No way. Never against the Dodgers. There's too much homework. Alrighty, we've got another question here before we get to our special guest here to talk some injuries. We've got Andrew wants to know Rugnit or Durs or Dur oh my goodness. Struggling off <laughs> the hors d'oeuvres? Yeah, I couldn't get Rugnit that. Rugnit hors d'oeuvres? Can I get some pigs it. in blanket, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew was wondering favorite appetizer. So, yeah, favorite that, that player, Ooh, that, egg rolls, right? that middle infielder <laughs> is off to another rough start. Is this just another streak for a streaky hitter? Or are we looking at the beginning of another 2017, but without the high power rates? That's a good question. Rugnit Once I got there, it was wonderful. Yeah, so Rudned or Derves batted 204 in 2017, but with 30 homers and 15 steals, and everybody ignored the batting average. And last year, he actually showed a walk rate um, and batted 253, which surprised me, but the power was down. Although it wasn't down that much. Remember, he did miss like 30-something games. I just think if you drafted Rudned or Derves as your middle infielder, you leave him alone for longer than 12 games. I do. Who are you adding for? I, like, Let me go to the most added. Who are you adding for Rudned or Dorr? That's so important. Mm-hmm. That's, That's my question. A good question. I had a, I had this very discussion with a good friend of mine the other day. He's like, "Should I give up on Rugen Edador?" And I effectively had to write back, "You're crazy." I mm-hmm. I still feel like the co- the uh, the quality of contact when he does make contact has still been good enough that there's something there. And during spring training, when I watched, he looked like he had a much better approach at the plate. He was hitting with power to all fields. That was a very po- big positive. Yep, small sample. I get it, but this is going to be a streaky player by nature, and you just got to deal with it. Wait, you have other good friends than me and Kyle? Well, maybe one other. How do you know we didn't talk about this? Yeah, how do you know it wasn't Kyle? I got his name right that day, I swear. <laughs> Kyle, don't, don't drop Rugnet a door. What are you thinking? I know. You guys are some dudes. Um, let me read this, and then our special guest. Oh, my. There are two types of dudes in the world. Those that go through the gate and those that go over the fence. Well, after years of research and countless experiments with seasoned underwear scientists... Me Undies now has an option for both with their new boxer briefs with a fly. It took a while, but now men from both sides of the aisle can enjoy the world's softest undies, as we do. These undies are so soft, they make Bob Ross's voice sound like Gilbert Gottfried. Wow. Me Undies uses the coveted micromodal fabric, which is a full three times softer than cotton. Not only will you feel like your loins are being hugged by joy itself, but Me Undies gives you multiple style options for both men and women. Men can now try the new boxer brief with fly. It's the same great cut as boxer briefs, just with a hole now for number one. MeUndies is also the go-to for the softest loungewear on the planet. Hang out in their super comfy lounge pants and onesies. Yes, MeUndies makes onesies, and they're incredible. MeUndies has a great offer for listeners to this fine show. For any first-time purchasers, when you buy any MeUndies, you get 15% off and free shipping. Get 15% off a pair of the most comfortable undies you will ever put on. So to get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash FFB. That's MeUndies.com slash FFB. Okay. Now we bring in our special guest who heard me read that. Stefania Bell with injuries. You're the best. You're awesome. And we got some really big injuries here that we need answers to. Fantasy managers all over the world, Stefania, need answers to these questions. All and you over are here. the world. You guys have gone global, is what you're telling me. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe. Not like the football <laughs> show. Nobody's saying that. Hey, but I, I think people listen that. in other countries. Um, hopefully they can download That's it. That's awesome. Listen. So, um, you know, we try. Yeah, well, you guys are so kind to invite me back. 
you honestly show up whenever you want to be on the show. Well, I keep thinking, you know, I'm like, well, it's early in the year. Why don't we just wait till there are some injuries? But well, hey, we, yeah, there's some injuries. Um, so I hear, yeah, filthy rumors. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, one, no one here is panicky at all. I'm going to leave the Yankee pitcher for Tristan because he's a Yankee oh, fan. Oh, yeah. and, and since I just read what I read, I, I can confidently talk about groin strains and Mike Trout. I want to ask you this in a general sense, okay? Um, when I hear somebody is day-to-day with a groin strain, I'm not trying to be facetious here. How is that day-to-day? Like, it seems to me like there's no such thing as a minor one, but Mike Trout might play on Friday. There, it depends on the weather to some degree. But could this be the type of thing that you know, maybe he doesn't steal bases for a couple of weeks? Is there a re-injury occurrence here? This is the best player in the sport. Clearly the best player in the sport. But I think the fact that they already were hinting that he could play later in the week does mean that it was a relatively minor issue. I mean, uh, there, there was no imaging done, as far as I'm aware. And uh, I think just the fact that they made that decision tells you they weren't really concerned about the severity. You know, players are getting better about speaking up. There's communication that's happening between players and medical staffs in a lot of places, not everywhere. And I think that it's important because the modern way of looking at things, and I know in the old days, everybody just used to play through it, suck it up, and, you know, nobody took days off and all that. But if you have a significant groin strain or a tear, as you guys know, that can turn into something that can compromise the rest of your season. You just can't be effective. You can't run well. Could be something that requires surgery down the line. So isn't it better if you feel something, even if it's mild, to take a day or two off, kind of scale it back, and hopefully prevent it from becoming something bigger? Now, you mentioned recurrence. There's no way that we can say for sure he won't have another issue. I mean, the the one thing is now that this has cropped up a little bit, you get nervous that maybe next time he goes out all out on the bases, or not even next time, you know, he might be fine for the next time or the next five times or the next 10 times. But in a month, if there's something else that happens, we're going to look back at this and say, well, we saw a hint of it in the spring. But that being said, I think um, the confidence from the team and the fact that they've talked about him coming back in a few days should make us more confident. And I know I'm definitely confident because he's also played great around some of the little injuries here and there. He's been by far the best in the sport on a per-game basis when he's on the field. So I'm not worried there, but I am worried about one player, Stefania. And Eric saved him for me. you got to talk me off the ledge for Mr. Luis Severino because, I mean, it was bad enough that he had the shoulder issue, but now a lat strain? I mean, come on. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. And I was with the Yankees at spring training. I know. I know. Here it you comes. You did this? Really? No. Hey, I mean. Killed my sim pitcher. Oh, no. And I specifically went there to talk to Brian Cashman about Luis Severino because that injury had happened fairly recently the time I was down there. And there were a lot of things that were positive. And I wrote about this. And I, I think we, we talked about it before. I wrote about it. I, I thought the Yankees had avoided something major. Um, again, it was something where he felt it on a single pitch. He spoke up. They decided to scale his activity back. Um, because he had recently done a contract extension, they had, you know, this is what you do. You get imaging. It's part of the picture. It's not everything. And I I'm, I'm, had a Twitter conversation going about this the other day because I said, uh, you know, some people were like, well, why, when he had the first shoulder episode in spring training, why get an MRI? Every pitcher is going to have findings. Yes, that's true. When you pitch for a living, the longer you do it, the more likely it is you're going to find things. And if you just put the MRI up on the, on the, you know, on the light box and, and looked at it and didn't know anything about the person, you might think, Oh, with that shoulder, you know, that guy can't function. And then you come to find out it's a pitcher who's throwing regularly and has no symptoms. So you can't completely go by the MRI. But when you have serial images, images that are taken, you know, a few months apart, a few weeks apart, and in this case for the Yankees, they had done um, imaging before the contract extension. They did it after he strained his shoulder. They really didn't see anything. It was any different. Some mild inflammation. So they had good information. He didn't report significant discomfort. He just knew something wasn't right. And they scaled him back. I think the surprise is that now, without that much activity in between, all he'd been doing was throwing off flat ground, but increasing his distance, working his way towards throwing off the mound, 
and still felt that something wasn't right in his shoulder. They go back, they look again. Now they see a grade two lat strain. That's not insignificant. And it begs the question, what, how did this happen when he was doing relatively light activity? And my suspicion is that it didn't just come out of the blue. It's sort of been construed as like, well, it's not the same thing as before. He had inflammation in his rotator cuff. This is different. You have to picture in that area of the shoulder, everything's really close together. And these are all muscles that are contributing to the function of the pitcher's throwing arm. So I believe, and this is without seeing the player, being able to evaluate him, but just in understanding that it's hard to imagine this just came out of the blue, especially when he wasn't throwing 100% and not throwing downhill. I suspect he probably had something very, very mild in his lat that just didn't show up on the last MRI. And as he continued to work his way back, it progressed to the point where it presented itself on the most recent imaging test. And his only giveaway to him was that it just wasn't feeling right as he got up to the higher intensities of throwing. So further distance, a little more intense, getting ready to throw off the mound, and he knew it wasn't right. The challenge now is is what do they do? And, and time is really their friend. You have to back him off. You don't want this to turn into a situation that's surgical. And we don't know where the injury is. But if you think of a couple of players, Jake Peavy was probably the first um, that we that really stood out to us, who ruptured the lat tendon insertion, in other words, where it attaches to the arm, and had to have it reattached. And uh, we've seen, I think it's Alex Reyes who had that similar procedure this year. Um, the, you don't want it to get to that point, so you have to scale them back and start over. You can't even pick up a baseball for a while. And uh, you know, it's interesting because Mike Clevenger just uh-huh. goes down recently, and we hear it's a Terry's major. Well, guess where the Terry's major sits? Right next to the lap. And it attaches in basically the same place. So we're seeing these injuries with throwers, very complex in terms of how these this muscular system works. And you don't want it to completely rupture because then you've got a definitive surgical situation. You're really questioning um, what the ability of the pitcher is going to be going forward. So... Um, We've seen guys come back from high-grade lat strains. Uh, uh, Noah Syndergaard did it, and it took him multiple months. And I think, Tristan, that's what you're looking at with Luis Severino because they're going to be conservative with him. He's young. He's valuable. There's no reason to push it and, and run that risk. But it's definitely disappointing because something that looked like I thought that it was a relatively minor injury. I wrote it that way. Because that's what the information that everybody had, including the people who were right there looking at it. Well, and this is my last question. The uh, the Indians seem to think that Clevenger's injury was minor. He was day-to-day, and now it's like 75 days. He's out a couple months. So with a back injury, you never really know. But are we concerned about performance when it comes back and re-injury? Because people, are, people don't view Clevenger the way they do Severino. I would rather roster Clevenger. But I'm wondering now if I should just drop them both in 10-team standard leagues. Clevenger is going to be out longer. I, I mean, well, I think I, I think that's my point is that Clevenger, when um, he was examined by team physician, that the diagnosis was a high-grade strain of the Terry's major. So, again, think of what his complaint was, and that's probably why they said day-to-day. He had stiffness, or I think that was the word that he used, stiffness in his upper back or tightness in his upper back, and they were calling it an upper back strain. It didn't sound like a big deal, and he was pitching really, really well. And then they go and they look at it and they're like, wow, this is a much bigger injury than what we thought. That's why it changed, you know, when they, when they saw what, what he was actually dealing with. But yet that what he complained of wasn't terrible. Um, and, and that's the challenge with these medical things is sometimes balancing that out. So that's why the recovery time went way up. They saw that they were actually dealing with, you basically can't pick up a baseball for almost two months while you're allowing the tissue to heal. And it depends exactly where it is. You know, if it's more in the belly of the muscle, good blood supply, it's going to heal pretty well. You get into the tendon area, or if it's near where the tendon actually attaches into the arm, that doesn't have a great blood supply. It's more difficult to heal. You have to be more careful with it. Uh, and so... We, we don't have that level of detail of information, but I think that's why with both Severino and Clevenger, it's all about making sure the tissue heals. 
before you get them back. And if it really does, and again, I use Syndergaard as an example because he's probably the one most recently, he's, he's a high heat thrower who had a similar injury that he dealt with completely through rehab, but it took a long time. So, Stefani, I want to ask you about uh, two other players, just in case you had an angle on these two. Coming back potentially this weekend, we're looking at a projected return Sunday or Monday for Clayton Kershaw. The other is that the Braves are looking at a return of Mike Fultonavich, uh, likely on Sunday, but it might be that they wait another week for him. And, you know, based on where people had taken him, they're, they're two guys who had injuries similarly, like Severino coming into the year we just discussed. Uh, any concerns you have for either of the two of them? Uh, do you have any updates on their prognosis? Well, let's let's start with Kershaw. Um, you know, you got to be nervous when you're barely into spring training at all, and it's a problem. And I think that this is a bit of a, a carryover from his shoulder from last year. And uh, he just, I was nervous that he was not going to get back without them having to go and, and do something on his shoulder. Um, but Clayton is a very determined guy from everything I understand. And, and when he, unless you tell him like his shoulder will not work unless he has a, a procedure, I think he thought if he could get it to a point where he was comfortable and could throw like himself, then that's the way he would approach it. And so far he's been able to do that. Am I convinced that this won't be a problem again? No. You know, he's, he's an aging pitcher. Um, there's some age-related decline that happens. We've talked about the speed on his fastball going down, which is definitely, you know, it's a sign of age, but it can also be a sign of um, physical decline, literally, in terms of the structures of the shoulder. He can still throw, but, and I, I made this comment before, I think that he may have to kind of follow the Justin Verlander path of adjusting what he does to preserve the uh, end of his career. Um, and let's not forget he has a back issue in there that's been intermittently problematic, although he did better last year than the year before with it. I think as far as Fulton um, you know, it's his elbow. That never makes you happy, right, when it's a pitcher. But um, I think so far he's been doing good um, and he's felt good, which is probably the most important thing. And... You know, I'd, I again risk of recurrence. There's no, there's no way with these. I really anymore. The only tissue where you can feel good about, like, okay, that's healed and it's recovered, is when you have a fracture because bone heals stronger because of laying down callus. It's thicker. You know, your your chance of re-injury uh, of, from a fracture if that heals well is very, very, very minimal. Anytime you get into something else, especially soft tissue wise, you know, there's a risk of recurrence. So. For both of these guys, I I, I kind of want to. I'm just reserve judgment till I see them. And for for Kershaw, it's as much about performance and what can he be this year. Well, I'd like to ask you about 76er center Joel Embiid, but that could take three hours. <laughs> um, and we've run our allotted time here on the show as it is. Stefania, thank you so much for joining us on Fantasy Focus Baseball. You can catch her on Fantasy Focus Football, and later this month, the NFL Draft is coming up, and then the uh, the NFL Summit for the ESPN Fantasy Group. So, Stefania, enjoy a couple of weeks, and then it all goes nuts again. Yeah, no kidding. Yes. All right, Thanks, thank guys. you. Thank you, thank Stefania. Stefania. That is all for today's show. We thank you so much for listening to our little fantasy focused baseball outfit here. Kyle Soppy pushing all the buttons, reading the questions, doing everything right. Tristan Cockcroft, he literally wins all his leagues. People listen to what he says, he tweets everything. And I'm Eric. I just kind of host. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend. Make it awesome. Everything is awesome. Darkness. <laughs>